Okay, hello everyone. I'm giving the share uh, at night. I'm in New York and Ritzman will be traveling on the plane tomorrow during the regular Zaman of the Shear. Therefore, I'm giving the share now, taping it, and Steve will be playing it tomorrow at regular time. Thank you for your understanding. Okay, we and thank you to Steve for arranging this. So we are on Tesvav Amrabez, 23 lines up from the bottom. The Gemara, uh, we're picking up from our Mishnah, and our Mishnah, if you remember, discussed if someone was to say Shema so low that they could not hear themselves say it, Machlokas Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, one is Yotze, Bidiyevet, if he said Shema very low that he could not hear it. Whereas Yosef, Rabbi, Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says that you are not Yotze even Bidiyevet. So the Gemara continues and says, I'm Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yossi said, this is Machlokas between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yossi, whether one is Yotze when he said Shema so low that he could not hear it. Bikriya Shema is only relevant to Kriya Shema, it's only limited to Kriya Shema of Abishar Mitzvos. When it comes to other mitzvos, i.e. other brachos that we say before we perform the mitzvah, or any brachos that are the mitzvah, the divrei kol, everyone would agree, even Rabbi Yossi would, Rabbi Yossi would, uh, sorry, even Rabbi Yehuda would agree, lo yatsa, that you are not yotze. Meaning that homachlokas is only by kriya shema, because it says the word shema. But by every other case where, where, where dibor, where speaking is, Required, let's say by a bracha, if one said it so low that he did not hear it, lo yotzeh. The divrei called lo yotzeh. Everyone would agree that you're not yotzeh, which is a tremendous chiddush because we know that brachos are only medrabanan. But still, you will not be yotzeh. Dechsev. Why? Because the pasuk says in the varm haskes ushma Yisrael. Pay attention and listen bnei Yisrael. And therefore, we learn from there that if one was to not be able to hear, he said it so low that he was not able to hear what he said. He would not be yotze. The Gemara says Mesvei. If that's the case, that everyone agrees that by other mitzvahs you are not yotze, then we have a problem with the following brisa that we mentioned earlier regarding berchas hamazon, where it said Mesvei leivarich adam berchas hamazon belibo. One cannot go ahead and bench in his heart, meaning you actually articulated benching, but you said it so low and so quietly that it was inaudible. You're not. You should not do that lechatchila, meaning you should say it loud enough lechatchila that you can hear it. However, in birech yatsa, but if you went ahead and did it, and you after the fact, post facto, you bench and you bench so quietly that you cannot hear it, you're still yotze. I, but we just said according to the way Rabbi Yosef understand the machlokas in our Mishnah that the machlokas whether yotze b'diyevet is only by kriyashma. But by every other bracha, you would not be yotze even b'diyevet. But here we just brought a case from our brisa that says that if one benched quietly, he would be yotze. So clearly, Rav Yosef can't be right. Even by other mitzvahs, you would be yotze. And Rav Yosef said, if you said it so low by other mitzvahs, you're not yotze. So the Gemara says, This is really what Rav Yosef said. Amar Yosef machlokas this machlokas tanoim. In our mission regarding Shema, when you said Shema very low. B'Kriya Shema was dafka by Kriya Shema, the Chsif Shema Yisrael, because it says Shema Yisrael. That's why, that's why um, Rabbi Yossi would say you're not Yotze. Avab Shar Mitzvos, since it doesn't say Shema Yisrael, doesn't say the word Shema, but by other Mitzvos, you would be Yotze, the Divriya Kol Yotza. This is more palatable and this makes more sense. And this, in fact, um, is how uh, we, we pass in the Halacha by, by Shema. And we'll have to see by by other by other mitzvos, but lechatchila you should say it out loud. But by other brachos, you have even b'diavad. If you did not say it loud enough, you're still yotzei. The Gemara says 
We just brought a pasuk. Has is Ushma Yisrael. We just brought a pasuk that you're supposed to pay attention and uh, and hear. So if that's not referring to other brachos, because you just said by other brachos, even if you didn't hear Yosei, what is Haskes Shema Yisrael listen, referring to? Hahu, hahi, sorry, hahu, but Divrei Torah That is referring to Divrei Torah. When you learn, you have to go ahead and listen, pay attention, be mitzta'er, trouble yourself. Don't just learn superficially, but learn on a much, much deeper level. Um, we'll give a couple thoughts about uh, Talmud Torah. Let's just do a few more lines, and then we'll get back to it. The Gemara continues. So again, the Maskana, we paskin that by other mitzvahs, even if you did not hear it, your Yotze, we say the same by Shema as well. Bidiyevin, lechatchila, one should go ahead and say it loud enough, and by, by other mitzvahs as well. But Bidiyevin, by Shema and by other mitzvahs, if you do not hear yourself, you are still Yotze. The Gemara continues. We also learned in our Mishnah another Machlokas. What happens if you read Shema and you were not very exact in your pronunciation? So, you went ahead and you said Shema, but you were not really careful. You stumbled, you mumble, mumbled the words, words, you ran through it, and you were not really very careful to go ahead and clearly enunciate each word. So, Machlokas, Rabbi Yossi says, you are Yotze, and Rabbi Huda here, in this um, argument, is the machmir and says you're not Yotze. So the Gemara says, what is the halacha regarding if one went ahead and read Shema, Kriya Shema, and did not enunciate the words and articulate the words clearly? By both machlokasim in the Mishnah regarding A, when one said Shema quietly, number two, when he was not very um, careful or exact in his pronunciation of the words, Lechatchila, one should say it loud. Lechatchila, one should be articulate. But in both cases, Bidiyevid, he is Yotze. Meaning, if he said Shema quietly, he's Yotze. And if he did not exactly, uh, per, uh, he did not enunciate and articulate and verbalize the words carefully, he is still Yotze. The Gemara now, since he brought one statement from Rabbi Tavi, continues and brings a totally unrelated statement that says as follows. For Amr Rabbi Tavi, Amr Rabbi Yoshia, what does the Pasuk mean when it says in Mishlei, it says that there are three things that are insatiable. And the, the pastor continues, and it says, and a fourth thing that says, never, that never says enough. And what are they? And also the pastor continues, a land, earth, and never satiated with water. Um, Sha'ol, a grave, sorry, it says Sha'ol first, a grave is one of the three things that are insatiable. A womb, uh, a land or earth that never is satiated by water. And the fourth thing, which never says enough, is fire. So the Gemara continues and says, what is this referring to? It says Sha'ol is referring to a grave that never has enough mason, that always wants more people uh, to be buried. A rechem, a, a womb, was always looking for more uh, chances to have vlad, to have uh, to have uh, to be a home for a fetus. Um, a and water, uh, earth is always looking for water, and fire is always looking to continue to to burn. So Gemara says, What exactly? Why is there juxtaposition between a womb and a grave in this pasuk? In Mishle that says these things will never be satiated. So Rabbi Tavi learned out, Ma Just as a womb 
takes in zera, and then eventually a fetus will uh, exit from it. Afshaol machnes, to a grave, takes in a man, or, or takes in man or humans, when they die, umotzi, and they eventually will also uh, give forth to a, to, um, to, to, a, to a person in Tchiasamesim, just like a womb takes in and gives out, so too a, um, the juxtaposition teaches us that so too a grave will take in, but will also, eventually, during the time of Tchiasamesim, will go out and will eventually give forth that body as well. And Rabbi Yoshia adds, Valodvarm Kalvachomer, it's a Kalvachomer. What is the Kalvachomer? So just as the Rechem, the womb, of a woman takes in zera the seed in private bachashoi very quietly and very tsanua menu kolos eventually when she gives birth and it causes a, a or, or it uh, emerges from there a vlad a child bekole kolos with joy elation and cries of happiness so it went in quietly but came out loud with with uh, in, in pomp and circumstance. So if so, Sha'ol Shamachnisin Bo Bakolikolos, then even more so, a grave that takes in the person in, with loudness, with cries and, and in eulogies, then Ainodin Shimotsin Menu Bakolikolos, then certainly when it comes out and Khizmesim, there's going to be joy, it's going to be loud. So the Gemara says a Kalvachomer, if a rechem, if a womb takes in the zera very tsanua in privacy and in behind closed doors. And it's not very loud, but yet when the when the baby's born, it's very loud with with cries and 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 and, and sounds of, uh, of elation and joy. How much more so if the grave that takes it in loud with crying and eulogies? Then how much more so when it gives forth and emerges from the show from the grave, the time of tchias mesim? Then it'll certainly be loud. And the Gemara continues and says, "Mikan mikan tshuva laomrim." Uh, and from this pasuk, from Mishle, it shows that there will be tchiasamesim from this from this uh, excuse me, and therefore this is an answer to any heretic who says that there's no source of tchiasamesim in the Torah because we see from here um, that uh, that there is a concept tchiasamesim. Another way to understand the kalvachomer is that if a if the seed, um, if the zera goes into the uh, goes into the womb, and there's no sign of life, it's not just a question of loud, but it's a question of no life. It's, it's lifeless, but it comes out. What comes out from the from the womb nine months later emerges a a vlad, a a child that's full of life. Then it's even more so if the kever, the grave, accepts something that once lived. How much more so that it will give out something that lives during the time of Tchies Mesim. So I wanted to discuss just a couple of points about Torah, the importance of Torah, in the piece that we just did before Tchies Mesim, and that is as follows. The Gemara and Tainis Daf, Chav Bezim, and Aleph discusses, Rava was very distressed due to the fact that Abaye used to receive greetings from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from heaven, Kibyachal, every Shabbos, while Rava only received his greeting once a year, uh, which was on Yom Kippur. So they said to him, they said to Rava, uh, you should still be very happy, you should be, still be satisfied because it's through your merit that you protect the entire city. And one Amun earlier in Tainus, it says as follows, 
Besura Havas Deverta. There was the Gemara relates another Gemara relates another story involving a plague in this in the city. And uh, in the Surah there was once a plague of Dever, of pestilence. But the Gemara continues to say that in the neighborhood of Rav, this plague never took hold. The people thought that this was due to Rav's great merit. However, it was revealed to them in a dream that Rav's merit was too great. He was too high of a level. And this matter of the communal, the community being affected by Dever was too small to attribute to Rav. To, to, Rav was so great, his merit was so great, that uh, his, his tzidkos and his godless would, when, through his zechuyos, it would merit a much larger population than the smaller community. So rather, the Gemara says, his neighborhood was spared not due to Rav, but rather to the kindness of a certain man who would lend his mora and his zvila, his shovel, his hoe, his hoe or his spade, to prepare sites for kavura. It was through this individual's act of chesed that he gave over his shovel and his spade and his hoe to go ahead and to dig for the kavura. That's why in his chus, his whole town was saved from this plague. Additionally, the Gemara contains, relates a similar incident. It says that in, in Drokart there was a fire, but the neighborhood of Rav Huna was untouched. There was no fire. The people thought this was due to Rav Huna's great merit. And it also came to them in a dream that this, this merit was too small to be attributed to Rav Huna. Um, it wasn't due to him. Rather, it was due to a certain woman who, uh, who heats uh, her oven and lends it over to other people, to her neighbors. And through that act of chesed, um, um, the, the community was saved from, from fire. So we're seeing through acts of chesed how this can impact other people. And it's not just chesed, but even Torah. We'll see, we see in this concept in Miketz, the impact that Sadiq can have at a communal level. The dreams of Paro suggested that there was supposed to have been seven years of famine, but we know it lasted only two years because as soon as Yaakov arrived in Mitzrayim, the decree was abolished and, and was ended. Uh, and ended. So uh, Rav Yaakov Bienfeld makes the beautiful following diok and insight in the bracious and partial Mikates when Paro is telling over his dreams to Yosef. He says as follows, Vatochalma haparos raos, the weak and measly cows, raos hamara vedakos basar, they were very, very thin, weak, uh, emaciated, what happens? They ate es sheva haparosifas amaravabrios. They ate the seven fat cows. So it says the weak and emaciated and poorly looking cows ate the seven fat cows. Similarly, in Pasuk Zion, in also Perak Memalef, in Miketz, it says vativlona hashibale madakos, the thin sheaves of wheat swallowed up the sheva shibalim habrios vamaleos, the seven healthy-looking sheaths. It only mentions seven by the healthy cows and by the healthy and thick sheaves. It says the cow, the weak cows ate the strong cows, or the skinny cows ate the seven fat cows, and the seven and the uh, skinny sheaths of wheat ate the seven healthy sheaves of wheat. It's not congruous. It doesn't say seven by both sets, only by the healthy sets. And why is this? So he suggests that the Torah is hinting that the seven years never came to fruition, that is the seven years of famine. Only the seven healthy years, the seven years of plenty, of surplus came true. 
And that's why it refers to the seven healthy cows, and it says seven by the fat sheaves. It does not say the number seven by the skinny cows, nor by the uh, paltry-looking sheaths. To, to further this, Rabbi Yaakov Shmuel Bornstein is Rosh Hashiv and B'nai Brak, was nifted in 2017, says a fascinating insight, shows us a fascinating insight into a pasuk we're all very familiar with from Tehillim, Parak Chav Zayin. It says, when David HaMelech stated, Achas Sha'alti Me'es Hashem, there's one thing I am requesting from Hashem, I am asking from Hashem, Osa Avakesh, that one thing I will beseech from Hashem, Shifti Be'es Hashem, Ko'i let me sit in the house of Hashem. Similarly, so we see that David said, Achas Sha'alti, one thing I am asking, Osa Avakesh, that thing I will request. So two different Lashonos, two different languages for the same concept, requesting. She'ela and Bakasha. Achas Sha'alti, Mis Hashem, Osa Avakesh. I will ask one thing from Hashem, that thing I will request. Similarly, by, by Esther Malka, when she requests in, in Megillas Esther from Achashverosh, she says in Perak Zayin, Pasu Gimel, Vatan Esther Malka, in response to Achashverosh, asking her, what can I do for you? She says, If I found favor in your eyes, and if it is good for the king, Please give me my soul in my she'ela, in my question, and my nation in my request. So the Vilna Gun says, what is the difference between she'ela and bakasha? We see David HaMelech used it in the same pasuk. We see the Megillas Esther refers to Esther saying, using both uh, phrases, both terms in the same pasuk, bakasha and she'ela. What is the difference? Asked the Vilna Gon, and he says as follows. He says, She'ela is when you're asking for something personal. When you're requesting for something on behalf of the Tzibor, that's when you word the bakash, use the word bakasha. So She'ela is personal on an individual level. Achas Sha'alti. I'm asking one thing from Hashem. That's on a personal level, but bakasha is always on a, on a communal level. So David understood that the learning that he was shifted based Hashem, when I'm sitting in a house of learning, he understood that learning was not just a personal quest, but also Osa Avakesh. It would have a tremendous impact on Klai Yisrael as a whole. So we see also from, from Esther Malka, she was saying, please answer, or, or, or answer my question. My request, she'ela, though it's not as strong, it's avakesh. It's a, a it is a is a, a request. It's a beseechment. But when she says tinosinli nafshi b'sheilasi, please answer my question for me. But ve'ami b'vakashasi, and for the whole nation, for the whole my, my fellow people, ami Israel, through my request. So David and Melech understood this difference between a personal level, but also understood that it will impact globally his learning. And the same thing by, by, by Esther Malka, that one question can impact her, but it will also have a much larger ripple effect affecting the whole community, the whole Am Yisrael in its entirety. So we see that the impact an individual's learning can have on the Tzibor. So when it says there, when it comes to learning Torah, we shouldn't think that when we learn Torah, it's only impacting us locally. It's really having ripple effects and affecting Am Yisrael, the community and Am Yisrael, uh, on a much more uh, communal level. 
Um, and we see masim, not just the Masim Tovim, where this can impact, as the Gemara and Tainus mentions, that he was saved, the community was saved from pestilence and fire because of the Gemilas Chasadim that was carried out by way of its inhabitants, but also through a learning. There's a story where Borenstein tells of Chaim Briska was traveling to St. Petersburg from Brisk for a big gathering, for a big asif of Gedolim, and he saw a bacher on the train, and a little trepidly, but the uh, bacher went over to Rav Chaim and uh, introduced himself. Rav Chaim said, what are you doing on traveling to, to, to Petersburg? Um, so, um, so he told him he was drafted by the army, he was traveling to see a doctor there to get a permit to get out of the draft, and Rav Chaim told him, if you need any help, you know, I'll be here, uh, you know, please see me. If I'm able to help, I'll certainly try to help. A short time later, the Bakr is knocking on the door of the Asifa, trying to get in. His resistance, they're not letting him in. And he dropped Rav Chaim Brisker's name. So he went to Rav Chaim Brisker and he said, I just want you to know that I thought getting this permit from the doctor would, to get out of the draft would cost me 50 rubles. In fact, it's costing 500. I certainly don't have the financial means to meet that, uh, that great sum. Would you be able to help me? So Rav Chaim got up at the Asifa, Rav Chaim Brisker got up at the gathering and said to the Gedolim, we need to raise an additional 450 rubles for this Bachor to get out of the, uh, to get out of the, uh, the, the draft. And the, uh, <clears throat> the other Gedolim got very angry. They said that uh, we're here for the Tzar Chirabim and you're asking for this one Bachor. So Rav Chaim answered, that no, this bachor is for the rabbim. Even a single person can have the merit to go ahead and impact Amisrael on a more global, on a more communal level. And so we see that when we learn, we should take our learning seriously, and it's certainly having a greater impact beyond the walls of our base medjish. We go back home, we bring it into our families, we bring it into the workplace, and we really be a oral argoyim through our acts of chesed, through our learning of Torah, we certainly have a much bigger impact than just on an individual level. One other fascinating uh, point about learning Torah is the following. The Hafla, who was the Rebbe of the Chassam Sofer, brings the following Gemara. In his Akdama to Gemara Kesuvos, he brings the Gemara in, from Brachos Tafchaf Aleph Amman Aleph. We'll get there in a few weeks. And we discussed this Gemara many times. It says as follows: Amar Rav Yehuda Minayin Leberchos Hamazon Lacharem in a Torah. From where do we know that the requirement to go ahead and bench after eating is min Torah? As the pasuk says, as we've discussed, Shneimar Vachalta Vesavata Virachta. When once one goes ahead and eats and is satisfied, he must bench. Minayin Leberchos Hatorah Lefanao. And where do we know? that the uh, obligation to go in and make berchas Torah before we learn, before we lane, is biblically, biblically mandated. From the passage that we discussed many times, when I call out the name of Hashem, I have to give greatness, I have to glorify the, uh, the, the name of Hashem. I have to call out to Hashem. So benching is min Torah according to everyone. And Berchas HaTorah is Minatora, the, the brachas that we say before learning is Minatora, according to most opinions. The Gemara says benching is mentioned La'acharah in the Pasuk, and Berchas HaTorah in the Gemara is mentioned beforehand. In practice, by the way, when it comes to eating, we don't just make a bracha afterwards, but even before. And by Kriyas HaTorah, we don't just make the bracha before, but also afterwards, as opposed to what the Torah actually says and mandates. The, the Gemara 
brings the pasuk that says required to bench afterwards. The benching is afterwards. And yet we, in practice, make a bracha before and after we eat. Similarly, leaning is kishem ha when you gather to call on Hashem's name, then you have to make a bracha right there and then. That bracha is before you learn, and yet we know we make a bracha before and even after leaning. And so the Gemara continues, how do we know, in fact, that you have to make a bracha before eating and that you have to make a bracha Torah after eating, after leaning or learning? The, the Gemara and the Chumash don't seem to say that. So the Gemara says it's a kal v'chomer. The kal v'chomer is as follows. Omer of Yochan, Gemara and Chafal of Brachos continues. We learned a berchas Torah after we lay from the berchas hamazon, kavachomer. And what is the kavachomer? Berchas hamazon And we also learned the kavachomer that you have to make a bracha before eating, from the fact that you have to make a bracha after. Um, Sorry, and Berchas Hamazon beforehand from from that you have to make a bracha of eating uh, a bracha before we eat, just like you have to make a Berchas Torah before before you learn before you lay. So the Lord says the Kavachomer. What is that Kavachomer? Berchas Torah Lacherem and Berchas Hamazon Kavachomer. When it comes to eating, you don't have to make a bracha beforehand, but yet you do have to make it after you eat. Torah Shatun Lefanah. Torah, which needs before, you certainly should have to make it afterwards. And then the Gemara says, and how do I know that I have to make a bracha before I eat? So from Kavachomer, just as Torah, I don't have to make a bracha afterwards, I have to make a bracha beforehand. Benching, and I have to make afterwards, certainly I should have to make a bracha beforehand. So the Gemara doesn't really explain the logic of the Kavachomer. It's sort of a circ- uh, circular reasoning. So what is the driving force behind the Kavachomer? What is the logic the, the, the impetus from this Kavachomer. So that Flos says so magnificently, he says as follows. He says, before a person engages in Olam Hazeh, he has a big double cheeseburger, not uh, a part of cheeseburger, he has a big double beef burger, let's say. And he's likely thinking, wow, this double beef burger looks amazing. He's super excited. He can't wait to devour it. But once he's done, he thinks, you know what, it was good, but it was overrated. It really wasn't worth the hour-long wait online or the high price. It's certainly a bit of a letdown. This is in stark contrast to Ruchnius, where before he engages in a Gishmak Sugya, he doesn't fully appreciate all the intricacies and the nuances of the Rishonim and the Achronim. You actually have to taste Torah, the Devar Hashem, to appreciate it. As the Pasuk Kentilim says, in Perak Lamedalid, Pasuk Tes, Ta'amu Ure'u Kitov Hashem. Right? Taste it, and then you will see how good the Dvar Hashem is. One must first taste the Torah Hashem before appreciating how tasty Dvar Hashem truly is. So after learning, after hearing the Psukim, when we lay, we realize we underestimated it. We now realize that it is next level. Only after the Torah, after we experience the Chavrusa, after experiencing the Psukim and seeing a new insight, a Chiddush, a Rashi, or the Ramban, Tosvos, then we realize how great it is. Before we sit down for a Sunday afternoon barbecue, we're excited, even salivating, but after the meal, we're bloated, we're uncomfortable. If someone would offer you another hot dog, you'd be disgusted, you'd even think about vomiting. The thought of more gashmis, the thought of more food is nauseating. By Torah, it's the exact opposite. The more one learns, 
the more one yearns to learn more. There's no such thing that after hearing an amazing shir or finishing a two-hour chavrusa, that the thought of another chiddush or another another uh, kitzos or or minchas chinach or tosfos would make one nauseated or disgusting. Says the hafla, if you're obligated to make a bracha after you eat, once you already feel full and bloated and you realize that your excitement leading up to the barbecue was overrated and largely unwarranted, and the Torah mandates you still have to make a bracha, then kava chomer, you, you, you must make a bracha before you eat. As it relates to Torah, you might be tired when you're getting up early for the chavrus or for daf yomi, and you don't fully appreciate the joyride that you're about to embark on, and the new Torah insights and the chidushim that you'll be exposed to, and the Torah yet still mandates a bracha before then, then afterwards, once you taste the Dvar Hashem and see how truly good it is, how sweet it is, then it's even sweeter, way more than you thought initially, than you, before you started learning, then of course, Kavachom, you should say a bracha afterwards. So again, if the Torah tells us you make a bracha after you bench, that's when we're bloated, we're, we have to loosen our pants, we feel uncomfortable. The thought of eating any more of Olam Haza, any more food, makes us nauseated. You have to bench. Then certainly when you're feeling good and you're anticipating and you're excited for it, so you have to make, that's the Kavachom, you, you have to make a bracha before you eat. And before learning, when it's underestimated and underappreciated and you're not fully feeling the geschmack of learning, you have to make a bracha, then how much more so the kavachom is that after you go ahead and you finish learning and now you have these new insights and chidushim and you're fully alive and awake and yearning to know more, then of course you make a bracha. That, that's what the hafla says. That's the kavachomer. And listen how he extends this to Shabbos. This is an amazing thought. He says in our davening in Shabbos, we say, Am mikad sheishvi kulam yispu bis angu Those people who are mikad Shabbos, who observe Shabbos, they will all be satisfied and they'll have a tanog. They will have great pleasure from your goodness. So the Afla says, again, the Rebbe of the Chassam Sofer, who is the author of the Panam Yavos as well, says the Hafla in general, Svia, satiation, being satisfied, and tanog, meaning joy, tanog, onek Shabbos, tanog, they don't go hand in hand. When one is fully satiated, when one has svia, he's bloated and almost disgusted, he's not in a state of tanog anymore, he overate, it's too much, he feels uncomfortable now. The, the only olam haza that one never gets sick of, then you can always have a lot and always want more is money. Oif kesef, yispa kesef, someone who loves money, will never be satisfied with money. And therefore, you can never have enough to reach the stage of sphi, of satisfaction. So there is no olam hazeb, there is no gashmi, there is no physical uh, physical application or physical, let's say, commodity that will ever, we can ever have this concept of sphi and tanog together, being satiated and still feeling joy when it comes to anything materialistic. However, However, when it comes to ul olam by those who are am mekad sheshvi, those who actually worship and serve Shabbos, serve Hashem on Shabbos by refraining from all lachos and learning, they observe Shabbos. Those people you can have sevia, while at the same time achieving tanuk. I want more, and I won't be, and I won't be disgusted. I'm satisfied with my learning, but I want more. You can have a three-hour chavrusa shaft and you're excited and you're happy in your sevia, 
and you're satisfied, and it's a tano, and it's still joy. You can have full satisfaction, and you won't be disgusted if I told you I have another chiddush for you. So that's when you're not going to be turned off by learning more Torah. Only there, when a yid learns a ruch in his life, it is the one area where you can achieve both. That you can have kulam yispu vis angumitu vecha. But it doesn't work for the reasons we just gave by olam agashmi when it comes to material possessions or eating or food or even money because you'll never become satisfied with money. The only time you can have sviya and ta'anog simultaneously are those who are am shvi when it comes to when it comes to ruchnistic um, things, and that's how we understand the pasuk says the aflah, only on Shabbos or only other ruchnist things, when we're doing avodah Hashem, can we truly reach a state of sviya and tanog together? We'll pick up Mirz Hashem on Wednesday morning.